Hello and welcome, Friar Town. Today is January 14th, and today we are going to be joined by Friar fan favorite, Ray Hall. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody, back to episode seven of the Friar Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie, and today I'm joined by somebody who I consider to be larger than life within the Friar community. <laughs> I think you guys know where I'm going with this. Whether we were up 30 or we were down 30 during my childhood years being a Friar fan, there was almost always one thing that was going to be certain, and it's that every time Ray Hall came to the game, there was going to be a thunderous applause and the energy was going to be going through the roof. So today, I'm honored to be joined by somebody I grew up watching, somebody I know who's been a leader in the locker room for the Friars for a long time, and played with a lot of different guys and has a lot of different experiences to share. Ray Hall, welcome to the Friar Podcast. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. And it is tradition here on the Friar Podcast, and me being a Providence native myself, to start off with, I'm curious to know, what is Ray Hall's favorite Providence restaurant? Uh, Pane Vino. Uh, it was my wife's and mine's favorite restaurant. Uh, when we were out there, I think we ate there probably once a month. It was just that good. The place was amazing. That's an incredible answer, by the way, because being a local from Federal Hill, my family always says that Pane Vino is the most underrated. So I think that's a that's a great answer. Yeah, the place was it was amazing. I, uh, my wife, we went there for her uh, graduation party. Uh, it was amazing food. Love it. We're glad that we could host you for some great Italian food while you were on the Friars. <laughs> Thanks. So getting right into it, let's talk about your recruitment to PC. But even before we get into that, let's let's talk about your high school basketball days. So you grew up in Denver and at PC, we just assume that everybody comes from the Northeast. So you came from a little bit more of a, a laid back uh, part of the country and you had a successful basketball career in high school. You were first team all state and you were actually runner up for player of the year in Colorado. Can you tell us, you know, what it was like playing basketball in Colorado growing up, and did you play any other sports? Uh, growing up in Colorado, playing basketball was fun. I had a lot of great people around me. Uh, person I lost to a player of the year, Matt Bolden, went on to Gonzaga. Had a great year, uh, great career there. Played professional overseas. Um, he's a great guy. So losing to him, I'll accept it. Honestly, I still feel like I should have won, uh, just with the numbers and success that my team had that year. Uh, we could have gone undefeated with one loss that. Really could have gone either way. Uh, and not a game that year was within 20 points. So we blew everybody out that year. But growing up out there was fun. Um, it was different than it was growing up basically as an adult in Rhode Island. It was a lot faster paced back east than it was in Colorado. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you were probably known as the tall guy. It's like, oh, like, you know, he, he must play basketball. But did, did you play any other sports as well? Uh, I wrestled a little bit to really work on my footwork, to work on my uh, body control and strength. That's one of the things that helped me a lot in college was able to move my own weight against other people versus having to put up a big bench or a big squat in college. I could know how to use my leverage to my advantage. Absolutely. And in Friartown, like we like we sort of alluded to, we're used to the same you know recruiting pipeline of Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, even extended down to D.C., but would just be curious to know, you know, I'm sure you're being looked at by a number of schools. Why did you decide to come to P.C.? 
the atmosphere. I came out for a game, uh, watched the team play against, and uh, I loved the fan base. I loved Tim Welsh. I loved the coaching staff he had there. Uh, the team uh, was a bunch of great guys. Uh, Sean Vanderwall, he was a walk-on at the time for the team, uh, was the person I shadowed. Uh, he took me around. Uh, it was just literally the atmosphere. Coach Welsh showed it to me about developing up being like Ryan Gomes, uh, who didn't start off the greatest his freshman year, but you saw what he kind of career he had, and I, was, I wanted to dip, uh, mimic that. Absolutely, and the old Big East was was certainly an incredible thing to be a part of. I mean, you have a number of schools which we'll get into that were a part of the old Big East that are not with us now. But your freshman season, who were you most excited to match up against? Were there any guys you played against, and what, what games were you just excited to to play at the dunk? Uh, honestly, every game was a different excitement. Uh, one of my best games I remember would be playing Aaron Gray at Pitt. That was really exciting one. Um, my freshman year, playing against Syracuse, all those guys I really wanted to play against, really make my mark, uh, improve myself. I know I ended up rolling my ankle uh, before we played Louisville at Louisville and didn't make that team flight. And uh, I remember leading into that game, I was having amazing practices, started working with uh, the starting squad as the uh, center and Herb Hill would be the power forward. And then, bang, in practice, I was down for the count. and that. That really sucked at that point. Yeah, I mean, Herb Hill is an all-time great friar, probably one of the more underrated all-time. You know, he got an NBA look and had a a great career overseas, so shout-out Herb there. But you mentioned as well, you liked what Tim Welsh had to offer and his staff when when you did your initial visit. Tim Welsh, I think, historically in Friartown is known for, you know, being a little bit inconsistent overall in his time where he had some good seasons, had some not so good seasons. Obviously, he's ingrained in New England basketball. He currently, you know, works with the Celtics and, and ESPN as well. Can you talk about your relationship with Tim through the years? And, you know, you moved on to Keno Davis, but how was your initial couple of years with, with Tim Welsh to start? Honestly, they were good. Uh, I always knew where I stood with uh, Tim Welsh. I knew putting in the work with him and the staff, if it wasn't for injuries, uh, I probably would have had a different career than what I ended up having. I actually hated seeing him go. I understood it was a business decision. We're in the business of winning, and we weren't winning at the time. Um, but I had a good relationship with him and the staff, and I was probably one of the few guys that was heartbroken when they had us in the office letting us know the information. Well, yeah. I mean, I, when I think of Tim Welsh's highs, I think about the 20 and 9, 2003, 2004 Friars, you know, with Ryan Gomes and and that run. And I, I definitely think there were some some great years, some great recruits that he brought in. So, you know, shout out to Tim and, and what he was able to do prior to Keno Davis coming in. But let, let's transition to my favorite topic of, of what the show will be and, and, and you being the fan favorite. Like when I was a kid going to games with my dad, like I can attest to the energy that was in the dunk when you would come into the game. And, and and I attribute it to you being a very authentic, like, you know, easy guy to get behind. How do you think it came together that became that you became such a fan favorite of Friartown? I think it was just the energy I played with. You knew every time I came on that court, I was going to give 100% energy, uh, do anything I could to make sure the fans were excited and we were winning. And I would never turn down. I remember being in the Providence Place Mall and fans coming up and just talking to me. I think that helped with it because I'd always have the conversation with them, no matter what time it was, what I was trying to do at the time, just... I wanted to make sure I was accessible to people who wanted to talk to me. And did you expect that, like, o- o- almost coming to Providence? No, actually, I didn't, honestly. Um, it was a shocker at first. Uh, and then, like, I sort of got used to it. And I knew I wanted to make sure I kept that going for the fans. Because hearing that uh, that uh, crowd, hearing those applause, hearing those roars, it actually gave me a lot of energy to make sure that 
I provided for them and gave them what they wanted. Well, yeah, I mean, that spark every time you came into the game was awesome. And and I, I literally can remember it like it was yesterday. Like I said, it didn't matter what the score was. And you obviously played with a lot of talented guys, but... I remember watching a game with one of my best friends. He, he he's a he's a Marquette alum, and I remember the announcer was like, "Wow, Ray Hall! Like this guy is like he is Providence. Like he's played here a number of years now, and like every time he checks into the game, he gets some love." So I, I know it wasn't just in the Friar community that people knew that. So shout shout out to you and you know what you've done for uh, you know for Friartown and the Big East as a whole. I appreciate that. Thank you. So transitioning here, we talked a little bit about Keno Davis. Comes over from from Drake, uh, kind of a unknown commodity in the coaching world. You know, people didn't really know what to expect. You know, after having Tim Welsh for so long, Can you talk about like what that transition was like under Keno Davis. It was a difficult transition for me. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, his first year, I had, to, I had to sit out due to injury. I had the surgery on my knee, um, and that really put me behind the eight ball. Coming in my senior year, or not. What would have been my senior year, trying to get back into shape so I could provide for the team was a very hard battle. So it made the transition hard. Um, also, at the same time, I didn't know where I stood. I'd go in his office, ask him what I needed to do to play. He'd give me a list. I'd go through that list, and I still wouldn't play. So it's like, okay, where where do I actually stand at? So it was a, it was a difficult transition. I, I could imagine that. And within that year, there was one big bright spot. And it was beating, of course, number one pit, which is one of the worst memories that I have personally being a Friar fan because I had homework to do that night and I couldn't go to the game. But true story. But in terms of beating number one pit, I know that you were out that season. We'll get into that. But what, what was it like just being a part of the team when they took down the number one team in the country? It was good and bad at the same time. I was on crutches and I felt amazing for the guys that we beat them on national TV, um, a team that we've always matched up well against. Um, not being able to really celebrate with them. Everybody's storming the court. I'm on crutches. I can't get out there. I'm probably injure myself worse. So that made it hard for me to cope with because I wanted to be out there. I wanted to be with the crowd, uh, cheering on, uh, hugging everybody. Uh, but I was ecstatic for the guys. I know how much it meant to John Colley and all those guys. Yeah, Brian McKenzie brought that up on his episode that Jonathan Colley came with like that just insane energy pregame. And it's great to hear that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it, it's, it was it's, nuts. It was I, I remember that like it was yesterday, how intense he was, how ready he was to go. I knew we were winning that game just off his energy alone. Yeah. And like, like you mentioned, you know, you were, you were out for that season. Did that make you appreciate playing for the Friars, you know, even more that you were having to sit out there on the sidelines? It did. It made me want to get back as quickly as possible. Um, I remember exploring every avenue with the training staff and the doctors, like, how can I get out there sooner? Uh, I wanted to be part of the team. I wanted to contribute. I wanted to help. At the same time, it was like the sport I loved growing up and playing was taken away from me. And we had no timetable of therefore when I would ever be able to do it again. So it made me appreciate basketball and appreciate the Friar community even more. Yeah. And talking about the Friar community a little bit, transitioning to your teammates, you played with a good amount of talented guys. And of course, the first one that's going to come to my mind is Marshawn Brooks, obviously NBA, and he's had a great career now over in China. It seems like he wins MVP like every other year over there. But, you know, you play with guys like Wami Abajuku, uh, Sherard Curry, Jermaine Peterson, Vincent Council. Who do you believe were some of the most talented Friars that you played with and you were just like in awe of their game? Oh, that's a tough one. I, cause I did really play with a lot of people. I think one that probably goes a little underrated would be Bryce Cotton. I played with him. He was a very talented player. Uh, Brian, very talented. Herb, you mentioned himself, really under ta- uh, underrated, talented player right there. Those guys 
huge talents. Marshawn Brooks, obviously, his success he's had post-Providence speaks for itself. But I would say definitely one of the most talented players would probably be Herb. Just how hard that guy worked day in and day out. Uh, how much I tried to model my game my sophomore year around what he did to be successful. Um, definitely, definitely got to go to Herb. Yeah. And you mentioned Bryce Cotton for a second in there, too. I'd be curious to know, because you played with Bryce early on in his prior career. Did you did you see that greatness in him right away? Oh, yeah, right away. And the funny thing is, is we were on the same uh, like whenever we matched up on teams in practice, it would be me and him on the uh, versus the starters. And I would talk to him. We were close uh, at the time. Every day, like, dude, you're going to get your shot. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be special. Like, I saw his athleticism. I saw his uh, work ethic. I knew once he got the right system, he was going to just take off and shine. Yeah. He, he was my class at PC and, like, honestly, can't say enough great things about him. Like, great student, great athlete, great person. You know, so happy for him and all his success. Um, overseas, you know, and it, it, you want to talk about, like, MVPs. Like, it seems like he's the MVP of the Australian League, like, every year. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's, I'm so happy for his success because I just remember his freshman year just like rooming with him and Lee Goldsboro and just like really working with those guys, being a mentor that I could be for those guys. Love it. Obviously, let's talk about, you know, first you were out for the whole 2008-2009 season. So let's talk about that comeback. Let's talk about 2009-2010, you coming back. Like, what did it take to to come back and be a productive player and a member of the team again? And if you wouldn't mind talking about, too, like making the NIT, I know – during your tenure, you didn't make the NCAAs, but what was it like to make that NIT, that postseason play? It was amazing. Uh, we made it my freshman year, the NIT, and we ended up getting blown out. Uh, so that wasn't that fun. Uh, but making the NIT that year was different for me. Um, making it back to the team after the surgery, after the injury, it was a challenge. Uh, I remember not even being able to practice for the first like couple months. Uh, and just being on the side of the court with Brian Van Patten, our uh, trainer, just running up and down doing mock drills to try to make sure my knee can handle the force that it needs to do. Um, so it was, it was hard. And like that whole year, every time I got into the game, I just cherished every minute of it because I knew, you know, this wasn't guaranteed. We didn't know how I was coming back or not. Yeah. And, no, and shout out to you for, for making that comeback because, you know, a lot of guys could have just thrown in the towel and said, hey, my, my time's up here. You know, I'm going to move on to different things. And your story would have been a little bit different. But and the other thing is, too, you wouldn't have that time where you where you mentored those guys, like you mentioned, like Bryce Cotton, Lee Goldsboro, like that next generation of Friars. And I think that I think that's a huge part of your legacy, how you were part of, you know, so many different guys' career careers and, and a leader for them in, in the same right. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So to the state of Providence basketball today, we'd be curious to know if you've been watching some games and you you stay up on your Friar news and you missed playing for Ed Cooley by one year, unfortunately. But, you know, we'd be curious to hear about what what you've thought about the Friars today and what you think about what Ed Cooley's done for the program. I think Ed Cooley's done great things for the program. Uh, I try to catch up and keep up with the Friars as much as possible. The industry I'm in, that I currently work in, the transportation and package industry is a very volatile and hectic industry right now, especially with COVID. Um, so I'm constantly busy, but I do try to catch games as much as possible. I think he's done an amazing job, honestly. I think, um, he's what Providence needed at the right time that they needed him. Um, I wish him nothing but the best of luck. And if he ever needs me, I'm always there for him. I know he's got a great staff and support system around him. So I know I'm not probably going to get that call anytime soon, but, I think he's done uh, wonders. I think Providence is in great hands. Uh, he's definitely done for the guys what I was hoping would have been done for me. 
uh, post career because I've talked to Bryce and how Ed Cooley's helped him get his contracts when he first started off uh, overseas. Um, so I think he's he's been great. I think he's going to have many successful years to come. Are, are you slightly jealous about the new practice facility? <laughs> oh, 100%, 100%. But I got to say, like, when I came in, we had the dungeon to work out in with Coach White uh, below everything. And then we got that huge uh, workout facility. So I got some great perks from being there. I mean, the practice facility is nice, but I'll take, I'll take anything over what that dungeon was. Yeah. And, and I actually, I toured it myself and I was like in awe of like, they have like sleep pods. And I was like, wow. Okay. Like this is next level. I know it's, it's crazy because it's like, imagine what I could have done if I was there during that. And that's a great segue. I wanted to talk about how players today, especially in college basketball, use social media. Like I think about first, like a guy like David Duke, you know, he, he uses social media for all the right reasons to talk about social injustices and Black Lives Matter. And you see other guys using it as well to build their personal brands as they continue to mature in basketball and life. What do you think your generation of players would have done with social media and utilized it, you know, comparative to guys today? It's hard to say. Honestly, I wish I used my social media currently more than I do. I don't usually use it that often or, um, but I think using it for the right reasons. If it's to use for a platform for social justice issues, um, if you want to use it to brand yourself out, we see a lot of successful people come from just social media branding. There's really some wrong and some right ways you can use it, in my opinion. Uh, that's a whole other segment we could really get into. But I like what the athletes are doing. I think my generation would definitely probably use it more for branding, though, and like the TikTok dancing videos, because my team loved to dance, so <laughs> they would definitely use it for that. Well, the, I remember the PC, uh, it was a couple years after you, remember the PC team that did the Harlem Shake? Oh, uh, yeah, I remember seeing that, yeah. That, was, that would have been us in a, in a heartbeat. We, 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 if only we could go back in time and have a dance-off between PC teams. Are you saying that your group would win? I think so. I got John Colley on my side. That dude could dance. Uh, he could boogie. Uh, so could Sherrod. Those, and Wayne, definitely Wayne would probably take a cake on that one. Yeah. And you talked earlier about the Providence community. You talked about going into the mall and seeing people and, you know, the experience of playing at the dunk. Like for those who don't know who are listening right now, the dunk is 12,400 screaming fans from the greater New England area. Like it, it is as much a professional sports arena as many could imagine. I, I've, I remember taking people, you know, to the dunk who'd never been before and they're like, wow, this is not what I expected it to be. Can you talk to what it's like just to even play one game at the dunk during Big East play? Oh, it's, it's a whole di different level. I don't think I've never played in a game at the Big East that wasn't sold out. Um, especially during the Big East season. Um, it's electrifying. I remember, uh, when we played Syracuse and we barely lost to them with, uh, my sophomore year, the crowd, the energy, um, I never felt that in any other place. Like when we play at Marquette, yeah, their their fans are there. It's great. It's cool. But like you don't get that same energy uh, as you would from the dunk. The fans are just at a whole other level. And, you know, like you mentioned, always sold out, always passionate, probably a few, you know, drinks deep from one of the local, you know, bars or watering holes around Providence. And it, it's just it's just such an experience, you know, of like the city, you know, has so much food and culture and, 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 and actually has a ton of art to it, you know, with RISD and all the different, you know, creative schools, you know, Brown, for example. So it's just a very diverse place. And, and, and I love to see people come together in the city, you know, behind Friar basketball and, and, and have it be its professional team. Like when you were playing, did it feel like PC was like the professional basketball team in Rhode Island? It did. It really did. It felt like uh, we were second to none, like honestly. Um, we had the 
just it was just amazing. I remember going to NBA games just watching and it's just like our fans are better. <laughs> like I'd go to Boston or Madison Square Garden, like, oh, okay, cool. Like this is what you guys cheer for? Like Come come down here. Just see the experience. Do, do you have any good stories off the top of your head of like you know fans, like memories of fans, like you know going wild during Big East play or anything like that? Uh, I have a few. I remember. Um, I think it was uh, my sophomore year. We were playing West Virginia. I came off um, the pick and roll. There was a missed shot, and I ended up uh, putting it back for a dunk. I just remember the entire like you could just feel the floor just shaking from the fans, just going just crazy. I remember as the game after we uh, played Notre Dame when uh, went into overtime, barely losing, and I just remember like that was that was different. Like you felt the floor like just vibrating off their excitement. It, it, it's really hard to explain. Like I remember a couple of years back, it was like a Tuesday night game against Xavier. You know, I was like expecting a sleepy crowd, and the the place is rocking. Like one dunk in, like every everybody's going wild. Yeah, if you're if you're not if you're not energized at the start of the game, like you're gonna get there because that the crowd's gonna they're gonna lead you to that place. Absolutely, and I'm sure a lot of your teammates could say the same. But we're gonna we're gonna make it even harder on you here, Ray. I think I know the answer to this question because, like I said, we have BMAC on the show, and I know you love BMAC. But who who are some friars that you keep in touch with? You know, who's one of your favorite teammates of all time, and what's what's your favorite friar memory of all time for you know thro- throwing on that 55 for the Providence Friars? Um, my favorite teammate, obviously, is B-Mac. That's my brother right there. I've known him since before we even were at Providence. Uh, I still keep in touch with Charles Birch, uh, Randall Hankey every once in a while. Um, I'll keep in touch with Lee Goldsboro. Um, I'll just hit up guys randomly just to check in on them, you know, let him know that, hey, I care about you. If you ever need me, I'm here for you. That's just, that's just the type of guy. I'll hit you up, like, once every, like, year. Like, just... And it won't even be Christmas or New Year's. It might be, like, July 15th. Like, hey, how you doing, man? You doing good? Um, but I definitely keep up with BMAC at least once, twice a week. We FaceTime each other, talk all the time. I think my favorite fire memory with the 55, though, uh, that's hard to say. Because I remember the first time I got to put that jersey back on after my injury and come out. Like, that was... That was special for me. But I think um playing in... uh uh, against Notre Dame my sophomore year, like that game I had, or West Virginia my senior, my redshirt senior year, nine points, nine rebounds in nine minutes, was able to really show I could do something if I had some minutes to play with. Yeah, I mean, people forget that Notre Dame was even in the Big East. I think, I think at this point, definitely. And I remember, I remember Bryce Cotton had a big game against them during Family Weekend um, a couple years back. Yeah, I mean, every time we play Notre Dame, there's a huge, there's a little bit of a rivalry aspect to it, and. Especially during these times in COVID, you know, reaching out to those close close to us and, you know, guys that you haven't been in touch with in a while, that's awesome. So I think that that's great that you stay in touch with the guys and, like, you know, I'm sure they appreciate that and it, it, I'm sure it brings back some nostalgia as well. Hopefully. I mean, I just let them know, like, hey, man, our time wasn't wasted together. <laughs> well, you know, you certainly made it, like, for a guy like me growing up in the area and I had hoop dreams as well. They they didn't come together like I would have hoped. But at the end of the day, I, I still have a lot of great memories from going to games at the Duncan. You you met your wife at Providence College. I mean, that's that's absolutely beautiful, number one. And, and you have a son. Um, and you, you guys have been together a long time now. And behind every successful athlete or, or, or man is a great woman. Um, so would love to hear about how you met your wife and, and tell us all about, you know, what you guys are up to now. Uh, so it's funny. I met my wife um, uh, through our strength coach, Coach White. Um, she came in early in the morning to uh, work out in the summer. Um, she needed some weights moved. Coach White introduced us like, hey, this is Ray, the teddy bear. He'll just move whatever you need for him. 
Um, and then we didn't talk the rest of the summer. Like that was our first interaction. We didn't know like, Hey, like this is going to go anywhere. Uh, then one night in October, she yells at me across the quad. I'm wearing a white beater. It's like maybe 30 degrees outside. Probably should have had a coat on. Um, so she yells at me like, put a coat on. And I, I stared down because I didn't hear what she said. So she came over to apologize thinking I was mad at her. Um, and then we just talked. We, I remember we, very first thing after that, we walked to 7-Eleven, just talking the entire time, walked back up, walked into her, her door, make sure she got in safe, walked back. Uh, and then it was just like, okay, like, that was actually a good talk. Like, let's try to talk some more, see where this goes. Um, and then 14 years down the line, <laughs> we're still together. Uh, and we have a son, a uh, two-year-old, just had him, uh, who's just been a, a joy for us every day that he's around. That's that's awesome. And should we ex- should we expect a commitment from your son, a uh, PC class of twenty forty? Maybe I'm trying to get him into basketball now. Um, he loves every once in a while getting his ball, shooting, dunking on his little hoop. Um, he's more interested right now in like being read to and food. He loves food uh, as a gift and a curse because obviously I love food, or I would never got as big as I did. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's awesome, and I'm glad that not only you had some great memories playing at PC, but you know you met your partner in life, and you know you'll obviously always look back on your time in Friartown fondly. So Ray would just love to hear if you have some final thoughts here for some Friar fans, and send us off with some with some good things to note. Oh, uh, man. The Friar fans are great. I love every single one of you guys, even the new Friar fans. Uh, I miss every one of you guys. I would love to get to more games uh, and see the team play, be a part of the experience. I know Friars are in a great spot with Ed Cooley, um, with Bob Driscoll. Uh, you guys keep doing what you're doing. I know the fan, uh, the players appreciate the, the love and support from all the fans. Uh, and the players, if you're listening to this, keep supporting the fans. All right, You guys are a team together. Uh, one can't coexist without the other. We see that right now with uh, COVID and there's no fans in the stands. Like the game's feel dead. So when they get back, make sure you show that appreciation to them. Um, cause they, they do, they love you guys and, uh, they will, they'll go town for you guys. Uh, other than that, I wish Friars best of luck. I wish all of them, uh, nothing but success and happiness. Awesome, Ray. We, we can't thank you enough for all the great memories you provided us in Friartown. Like I said, that energy, it, it, I don't know if it's ever been replicated, you know, that, that you had when, when you came into the game. Like everybody knew you were going to go hard. Everybody knew you were going to represent, you know, Friartown uh, to the best of your abilities every time you put on the jersey. And thank you for being a leader and, uh, you know, somebody that will always remember in Friartown as, you know, passionate for PC basketball. So thank you for coming on the show here. And, you know, we look forward to keeping in touch with you. And thank you again for taking the time. And go Friars. Appreciate it. Go Friars. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to Episode 7 of the Friar Podcast. And, of course, a thank you to Friar fan favorite, Ray Hall. We are back again next week, as always, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Friar Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, as well as SoundCloud, if you enjoy our content. And of course, go Friars!